And I, I had this moment of like, if I'm still sitting in the same cubicle in 20 years from now, I'm, I'm not going to be happy with, with my career choices. So I, I had a conversation with my manager. I was very close with her on a personal level. We had a really good relationship. And I said, you know, hey, I don't necessarily want to leave, but I want to do more. So thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We're with Lara Perlstein, who I've got a long working uh, relationship with, which I'm really excited about. And so I'm excited to have this conversation about some of the twists and turns in her career and obviously some of the things she's doing at Teal, but you'll, you can learn those in other ways. So uh, with that, Lara, thanks so much uh, for joining. Of course. Happy to be here and excited to chat. So uh, I usually I like to kick it off with the age old Tell us a little bit about yourself. It's kind of like the interview question everyone has to answer. Uh, extra pressure for you because we teach people at Teal how to do it, so you got to do like a really good one. Uh, but no, just kidding. Uh, just let, kick us off with a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. So I live in Brooklyn uh, with my husband and my my dog, who our office and our team tends to see a lot making an appearance. And I started my career with, I, I graduated during the recession with a psychology degree, really had no idea what I wanted to do and, and started kind of taking just more general entry-level jobs, found myself working as an office manager and an administrative assistant for many years, kind of in the, the fashion and beauty world, uh, realized I wasn't super passionate about that and wanted to kind of find a company that matched my personal values a bit more found my way to WeWork, where is how I met you and obviously worked closely with Dave for several years. Did a lot of different things there I can dive into later, um, but kind of was utilizing this kind of generalist skill set that I had, doing a lot of people operations, strategy, things like that. And then I found my way to Teal. And at Teal, I'm also in a strategy and operations type role, kind of trying to oversee both our business ops, but then helping on the, the product and growth side as well. Awesome. Well, that gives us a lot to pick from. So right, when, when was the first time you like realistically thought about this is what I want to do, right? Not the like when I was a kid, this is what I want to be when I grow up, unless it's relevant. Um, but when did you start to have like a little bit of an intentionality? You know, I think generally for people, it's like when they pick a major, but maybe not. So like, when do you feel like that was for you the first time? Yeah, I think I had like a couple different points. Um, it definitely was not in college or <laughs> kind of in the college setting. I would say that was a time that I was just like, these classes seem interesting, but I, I never really thought about how those might string together into a career. But one thing is I actually worked through high school and um, on my summers in college. And I spent many years working as a, as a camp counselor and then programming director at a, an overnight camp up in the Berkshires. And I feel like that was the first time I was working, but it didn't feel like work. And I was like, this is so cool. I'm, I'm helping kids have like the best summer of their lives. I'm helping staff members understand how to manage children for the first time and you know, be responsible for them for, for two months, you know, while they're literally in their, you know, bunks with them day to day. And I was able to kind of move up through the ranks and ended up in more of what they call like a senior staff position where I was actually helping building the program of camp. And I, I think that was a point where I was like, I don't know if I can go to camp forever. Like if there was a way to make this a job, that'd be really cool. But I was like, I'm really passionate about what I'm doing. And I also felt like I was earning like and gaining skills that I could actually translate outside of a camp setting. 
I like that as an evaluation criteria as like work that doesn't feel like work. And I think a lot of people get hung up in that as language. It's like, you know, if you'd love your work, you don't work another day in your life. Like, I think people are a little too extreme about that, but I like that just kind of like, I can get lost in this. Um, and at the end of the day, like feel pretty charged up and happy with the work I was doing. So I liked it as a, as a sort of general like litmus test. Yeah. And uh, it was, it was also some of like the hardest work I've ever done because I was dealing with like parents when it came to their kids' behavioral issues and, you know, um, really like their well-being. And then I was also dealing with counselors who were in their, you know, like late teens, early twenties who like kind of thought this was more of an opportunity to party and less of a time to be a job. So it was definitely hard. And at times I was, I got very frustrated, but I, I went back at the end of the day and I said, you know, I make, I'm changing these people's lives. I'm giving them a summer or summers they can remember. So it feel, felt worthwhile at the end of the day. Uh, well, lots of memories made, I'm sure. Um, all right. So that sort of um, introduced some activities and experiences that informed things you did later. You said school was not that. Um, so let's say you're done with school now. You already sort of uh, ruled that out as something you wanted to do. What was like, what was the decision process there? Like, what was like, all right, I, I got to get a job. I want to get a job. Like, what was going on? Yeah, I definitely, I graduated and I definitely struggled because I, I had like about half of my friends who were just going back to school again. And they're like, oh, you know, I want to go to law school. I'm going to apply to law school. I want to go to grad school for X, Y, or Z. And I, part of me was like, am I supposed to go to school more? Like, is that what I need in order to get a job? Because I, I didn't pick finance, you know, or a very specific route in college where I I've exited and there's like very specific jobs I should apply to. You studied so, psychology? Yeah, I had a, I studied psychology, which I, I really enjoyed. And I think it was a very useful degree now looking back on it. But it wasn't a degree where you graduate and it was like, these are the five jobs you can go from here. It was like a question mark. And it was also a recession. So that question mark, you know, was even gloomier or scarier. So I, I started wondering if I should go back to school. And I, I almost went to grad school. I submitted applications and I was actually going for dance therapy, which is a very, very specific thing. I loved dancing growing up and I, I liked helping people in psychology and I wanted to put those two together. But financially, I didn't have the funds to be able to do that. So I was going to be putting myself in debt. And I, I struggled with this idea of I'm not really sure what I want to be doing. Should I be putting myself in debt right now to do it? So I ended up backing out, which I think was the right decision in the long term. And I ended up just working retail and saying, hey, I'll just work retail while I figure it out. And what became like this very temporary job, I ended up really focusing on really investing in, worked my way up through the ranks and ended up managing one of the flagship locations in New York City. So I, I think that I was kind of avoiding that question, but ended up by default kind of finding a path within that. So, all right, we've in previous episodes talked about the kind of career cycle, um, the moment of kind of like searching for something, you know, transitioning into the role and then developing. And what ends up happening is development hits a plateau and then you search again. So what was, that was kind of like your first real job in air quotes um, after school. What, what was, what, what, what happened that resulted in change from that to what you did next? Yeah. So I think there were a couple different kind of like plateau moments or, or revelations that I had. One was 
I had a rough schedule, right? So I worked weekends. I, I didn't feel like I had control over my schedule. I was working very, very late because the store was open late. I was, it just didn't feel like I could make plans in advance or know what my schedule was going to be even like a week and a half out. Uh, so there, there was frustrations with that. Another thing was that I had kind of hit as far as I was going to hit in that setting, right? So I was the store manager. There wasn't much room for growth from there. And I, I said, okay, like, I feel like I've, I've gained the skills and I've learned what I can possibly learn for this job. And now I also feel like I have enough that I can put on my resume to leave retail and actually try and get more of a Monday through Friday type job, at least. What'd you do then? So like, what, what kind of like resulted in the change? Did you like start looking? Did you have to like get a little clear on what you wanted to do? Did you want to keep in retail? Um, Cause I think you kind of made a shift. So I'm kind of curious to learn a little bit about it. Yeah. So I knew I wanted to leave the, the retail side of like fashion. So I didn't want to be working in the stores themselves, but I said, okay, I don't want to make like a total 180. That might be challenging. So I said, okay, I can stick with fashion and just leave the store and go more to the corporate side. So I, I have a lot of learnings from the store and the day-to-day -day experience. And now I can take that back and say, okay, like what's happening behind the scenes there? So I started applying to office manager and administrative assistant positions at fashion companies who had retail stores. So I said, okay, maybe that's like a, a manageable pivot that I can make and ended up getting hired for a a beauty company, so not not exactly the same industry, but a lot of similarities where they were selling their product in stores as well, but kind of working on the back end side. And I was a an office manager for Moroccan Oil, which is a, a hair care company. So you know, I have the added benefit as an interviewer, having known you for a while. Um, and something that's always been really impressive to me is just how ego is like just not part of your career decision making. Uh, I think to have a degree and be like, I'm going to go work retail, right? I think it's obviously on the surface, it's totally fine. But I think there'd be a lot of societal pressures to be like, that's a, that's a career regression. Why are you doing that? You have a degree. Um, and then this is, I think, another really great example of that. You're like, I'm going to go be an administrative assistant. You know, I was a manager. And I think a lot of people get hung up on like title, title progression, the idea that we go backwards. But you know, I always think about like, if we're gonna jump really high, we squat first and we go down, right? We gotta like build the energy. And I, I you know, obviously yeah, I know what you're doing now and you have a leadership position here at Teal, but I feel like you've never been held back by that. Can, can you talk a little bit about sort of how you do or don't think about that? Yeah, I don't, I don't think I thought about it earlier in my career. So in that in that moment, I was just like so miserable working in retail that I was like, you know, anything that gets me out of here and I, I know my schedule and also I know what I'm going to be making. Part of the challenge of retail is I was being paid hourly still, even in like a senior position. So it was like, I don't know what my pay, I, I was not necessarily living paycheck to paycheck, but paycheck to paycheck was a question mark. What would that amount be? So um, I think one of the other the other pieces is I try not to get hung up, right? Titles don't really matter. Titles don't necessarily say what you actually do. And I tried to look at like, what is the experience I can get from this? So an administrative assistant to some people might seem like, okay, that's, you know, more of like a, a lower level job. You're not necessarily going to learn that much. You're just buying people lunch every day. But the reality of being like any kind of 
like really assistant from that standpoint is the exposure and access you get to information and to stakeholders. So sure, I had to run out and get lunch for my boss most days, but I also have personal relationships with all the C-level executives of the company. And I got opportunities where I'd say, hey, you know, can I sit in this meeting and help take notes? But it was also an opportunity for me to actually just like learn about the business while being in that meeting. And and I don't think anyone else in the company could have said, hey, can I just, you know, crash this meeting? That was very much like something that's acceptable as an admin or getting to go on business trips or things like that. So I really looked at it like the experience and the exposure. And if I had taken a different type of role that might have sounded better on paper to some people, there's no way I would have been able to see and hear and experience what I experienced. Yeah, I love that. And I, I, you know, it's a tricky thing to kind of communicate to like focus on the intangibles, because obviously, you got to be able to do it. Um, but you know, people figure out a way to prioritize things. And um, I've just seen more often than not, that sort of pays off. It may not, and it's taking a little bit more of a longer term view. You know, you'd probably tell me you weren't like as deliberate about it. But there was just kind of like a belief that these experiences were beneficial, more so and like kind of like what you needed at the moment and an understanding that this was an investment in the long term and not necessarily clarity on what that was going to yield but it just like felt like a good investment yeah i think the piece that i was aware of like in the the one that i like chose intentionally was i'm now going to have experience working in an office mm-hmm. and i didn't have that in retail i had experience working in a store which is very Sometimes I think even more powerful, but it's definitely different. So now I said, okay, I'm going to take this job. I don't know if I'll be able to grow there. I don't know if I'm going to need to leave soon after, but now I have experience working in an office and that that's going to show other employers, you know, potential job opportunities that at least that's something I can do. And I've done before. Another thing that, you know, in retrospect now also doing the work that we've done at Teal that I think was smart, um, was you picked like how many things you could change. You're like, so, okay, so I know fashion or, you know, the sort of broader industry, um, but the, the one part I want to change is the context and I'll leverage all this other stuff. And so, you know, did that actually play out? Like when you were looking for that job, like, look, I understand retail, I understand your industry. Maybe I don't have experience in this particular kind of job. Like how were you able to talk about your transferability uh, when you were doing that? Yeah, I think I think one of the main ways I spoke about it was just like customer interaction, right? Like I was on the floor every day dealing with customers for better or for worse, but I was having interactions. I knew what they liked. I knew what they didn't like. I know what they wanted more of, what they wanted less of, what frustrated them, what made them happy. And right, you need all that information to make its way back to this, you know, back end corporate office type situation. And usually the people in that corporate side of it aren't necessarily getting out on the floor and talking to customers. So part of it was like, oh, you're a customer. Um, Specifically with the hair care company, it's like you are falling into our target demo. So you're somebody who uses hair care products that can give us opinions on hair care products, but also you, you have all that customer experience. So that was one of the ways I tried to pitch that. So I said, okay, customer experience you know, is this is is valuable from going from retail to corporate. And sure, maybe fashion to beauty was a little different, but that customer experience was more valuable at the end of the day. Awesome. So let's talk about the next plateau. Um, you were at Moroccan Oil. You were there for a little bit. Um, or, or kind of like maybe leading up to that next change, right? Because then we'll get to 
at WeWork where you were for a while. Um, and a lot of like interesting progressions there. But what was that like next moment, whether it was in Moroccan oil or, or like to the, you know, the next thing, but what was that, that next moment in your career where you kind of hit a fork in the road? Yeah. So as I'm Moroccan oil, I want to say for about a year, year and a half, feels like a lifetime ago. And I learned a ton. I got exposure to a ton. I got to travel to Israel and spend time there. So that was just like really cool from a, a personal experience. This was an interesting one because the, the fork that I came about was not one I had planned for. And I don't think I could have foreseen, but I, I had gotten promoted to the kind of, I was the executive assistant to the president and one of the co-owners of the company. And where that started as a position that was very involved in the business, he personally decided to take a step back from the business and focus a bit more on personal things and other things he wanted to do. And I didn't really see it at first, but he started to pull me away with him. So I was very much working for him. It was less I was working for the company and more that I was working for this individual. And I was very involved in, you know, aspects of his personal life and his home and managing that. And so I, I kind of had this like wake up moment one day and I was like, I haven't even stepped foot in the office in a week and a half. I was like, I have not dealt with anything related to the business in maybe two weeks. You know, even if I just showed up to the office, sometimes it was just to see friends. And I said, you know, if I want to be a personal assistant, if that's the route that I want to be going, this is great. I should stay, but it's not. And so I said, you know, I'm going to, and I asked, I didn't decide to leave right away. I had a conversation with my, my boss and I said, you know, I want to be more connected to the business. Is there an opportunity to do that and kind of shift the scope of my role? Or if not, I'll go take this executive experience and executive assistant experience and find it at a company that does want it to be more business oriented. And unfortunately, the, our kind of wants didn't line up at that moment. Um, and we, I parted ways on very good terms, but I, I decided to find an executive assistant position that was not at all on the personal side and 100% on the business side. So I actually moved to another, I moved to a fashion company, so kind of stayed in that similar realm who also had retail stores. And one of the cool moments there was I the amount of salary increase that I wasn't even like negotiating. I had a friend who was working at this new company and was like, hey, this is the salary range for an executive assistant at this fashion company. And it was significantly more than I was currently making. And I was like, oh, wow, that's what my skill set should be valued at, which was like a wow moment for me. And that's a better opportunity. I'm going to take it. And so would that you got presented with that or, you, or did you like kind of like put feelers out to the world and say like, hey, I'm open to opportunities. I put feelers out and I reached out to my network and I had one of my, the employees who was with me at Moroccan Oil had moved there ahead of time and we had stayed in touch and she's like, hey, they're looking for an EA. It's awesome here. It's very different from where we were and right, these are the reasons why and these are the different experiences you could get and I can put in a good word for you and kind of make that employee referral. And so that worked out really well for me. Right, I think there's going to be a recurring theme here. So we'll note this as relationship job transition one. Yeah. Uh, all right. So you go to this company uh, for a bit. And so here you were context similar, role similar, um, back to business. So you were able to kind of like, but also comp went up because maybe the scope and, uh, but in terms of like job, pretty similar, uh, which probably made it easy to interview for. Um, all right. So you were there. How long were you there? Kind of what, when did you hit that next yeah. plateau? 
I was there for about a year. Um, it was a very, so where I had come from was a less established company. It wasn't quite a startup, but it was less established. And where I went was very corporate. And this was the first time in my life I had worked in a very corporate office. Like I literally sat in a cubicle by myself. And I didn't even know that cubicle still existed. It was the one and only time I will ever sit in a cubicle in my career. I think I can confidently say that. Um, but I, I was working for the head of merchandising. So it was a lot more actually looking at the business, running reports all the time, analyzing reports, sitting in business meetings. And I enjoyed it. I learned a lot of skills. And kind of a year later, I, I just kind of hit I hit this point of like, I've learned everything I can learn as an ex executive assistant in this box right now. And, and I was looking around and all the other EAs, the organization were like lifetime EAs. And that's an amazing job. It's just not the one that I wanted. So, you know, they had been there for like 20 plus years. And I, I had this moment of like, if I'm still sitting in the same cubicle in 20 years from now, I'm, I'm not going to be happy with, with my career choices. So I, I had a conversation with my manager. I was very close with her on a personal level. We had a really good relationship. And I said, you know, hey, I don't necessarily want to leave, but I want to do more. Um, and we had a really honest conversation that was like, you know, I don't necessarily need you to do more in this current role. Sure. And anytime you can get exposure to a few more things, you know, ask, and I'm happy to give you those opportunities. And we talked about there were internal mobility options, but I would be going from an executive assistant to like an assistant buyer. And it was a different skill set. It could have been a cool opportunity, but comp wise, it would have been a significant pay cut from where I was at. And so I was at a point in my life where that wasn't, that wasn't something I could afford to do. And so I said, okay, this isn't meant to be. It's okay. And I'm, I'm going to now look for an opportunity where I, even if I have to step foot in the door as an EA, there's EA with room to grow and expand from there. And it, it just didn't exist in that co very corporate environment, unfortunately. All right. So talk me through that process. So we're going to go back to relationships. <laughs> I, um, you know, I had been talking to friends, colleagues, um, and have been chatting with one, um, one person in particular I went to college with, and they had started at this awesome little startup called WeWork, and they were growing very, very quickly. He talked to me a lot about the culture. So one thing coming from super corporate cubicle life, I was like, I need, I need more. I need more people. I need more interaction. Like I, I get energized by interacting with people and by default sitting in my cubicle is just not good for me. So we talked, they were hiring a lot, they were growing a lot, and it was like a startup. And I was like, okay, I don't really know what a startup is. I never really experienced startup life before. My my dad had actually worked for a lot of startups growing up. So like, I know he always worked at home, remote, was always on calls, was always on video chats. Uh, some of them worked out, some of them didn't. So I was familiar with this as a concept, but I had never really thought about it. So he referred me in, got my way, kind of foot in the door that way. I went through a very chaotic interview process, <laughs> which I'm sure anyone who interviewed at WeWork has similar, but I, I probably interviewed at one point or another for like six different roles. They were all executive assistant, coordinator, office manager type roles, but the company was moving so quickly, like a week later, that one would be filled, but there was this new one open. So I met with a lot of people and the, the common theme I was saying is I was like, everyone I'm meeting with seems awesome. Um, you know, the offices seem awesome. It was fun to go there and interview. So I kind of got to like the last round um, of, 
I think it was called, I think it was a coordinator position technically, um, but very similar, similar salary to what I had been making. So it wasn't, I wasn't taking a pay cut necessarily. And I had a really, again, open, honest conversation with, with the hiring manager. And I said, Hey, like, I'll come on, I'll be an admin for you. I'm going to be like a kick-ass admin. I'm going to do an amazing job, but I want to do more. And if I can prove to you, I can do more. I want to know the opportunities there because I don't want to waste your time. If it's not going to be there and I'm just going to come for six months and then leave, I'm doing you a disservice. So we had this really honest conversation. And as we dug into it more, uh, the scope he needed filled was actually less of traditional admin and more of like project management type things that I was seeing. And I was like, ooh, this sounds really cool. So sure, if I have to get lunch as well, I'm happy to do it if I get to actually like manage these cross-functional projects. So it ended up sounding awesome, agreed to make the move and had a wild four and a half years as a result. So the... um What's interesting is like your time at WeWork was almost in aggregate the same as all the other places you had been working. Your first job was like a year and a half, then a year and a yep. half, then a year. Um, which I also think, you know, you were proactive and intentional about it, right? I think a lot of people get worked up on like, oh, I need to be there at least two years. And it sounds like you had a real good sensibility of when like, I don't feel like I'm progressing. Like, this isn't fun. I'm not just going to like pack up and go and do like the stigmatized job hopper thing. But I'm going to have an honest, balanced conversation of what's right for the place I work at. I'm going to maintain relationships. But I'm also going to, like, put myself first and figure out what I want to do. Yeah, and I was really lucky that my boss at the time was, like, very comfortable with that level of transparency. You know, I was like, I'm going to if, – if we can't find something here, I'm going to start looking. I'm not going to leave you tomorrow. I'm not going to disappear. But also – there was no worry about like retaliation and them being like, oh, you don't want to be here, then leave tomorrow. It was like, no, we, we know you're going to leave. We'll come up with a transition plan that works for both of us. But they were really supportive at the end of the day of, of me needing to do what was right for me in my career. I don't think it's an accident that you've you had that at almost every job up until the WeWork job. Uh, every single one is like, oh, I had a great relationship with my manager. I had a very candid relationship with the hiring manager. This wasn't even someone you know, right? So... I'm going to go ahead and give you credit and say there was something you were doing to have that consistently uh, happen. Uh, like what advice would you have for people around like how to foster that kind of rapport with, you know, this like hierarchical relationship, but, you know, maybe it's putting yourself out there, being a little vulnerable, but ultimately it served you. And not that it always will for everyone. But like, if you had to look back on it now, and I didn't give you this question in advance, but like, what do, what do you feel like you were doing to enable that to happen time and time again? So the, the first thing that comes to mind is, is around like showing interest. So I think something that I did, again, whether it was intentional or not at the time, is I was interested in things that were outside of like my job description, let's say. They weren't necessarily completely unrelated to what I was doing, but they were outside of my job description. And so I asked questions. You know, I said, hey, this is really interesting. Or I was sitting in a meeting and I heard the, I, I jotted down these terms. Like, I'd love to know more about what they mean. And, and not even to necessarily my manager, but other people I had working with, working relationships with. And by doing that, I started coming up with ideas. I'm like an idea person. I, I know you know that. And I said like, hey, we're doing this reporting thing and it feels like there's gotta be a better way to do this. 
and I started asking questions and, and coming up with suggestions. And they weren't necessarily, the problems weren't being given to me. I was coming up with problems and trying to brainstorm potential solutions or opportunities to fix something. And I would be happy to be the person to do it, to kind of step out of my scope and say, hey, I have the bandwidth or I'll make the bandwidth. This sounds interesting. And and that really paid off for me. I think people saw that I was interested and they were willing to invest the time and energy back. And I found like, you know, sometimes the answer was no, but sometimes the answer was yes to greenlighting like these little projects that they had never thought of, but also they wouldn't be able to devote resources to outside of me. And I said, okay, let me try. Let me talk to people. And I think that's one thing that has has paid off throughout my career so far. I like that. Be interested. Right. And I think it's, you know, it goes back to what you talked about earlier. It's like work not feeling like work. Right. So to put those two together, maybe like if it's no longer interesting and is not like sparking a curiosity, it's like, well, then something's off here. Um, but I think having that and being aware of that and being able to have those conversations, I think people want to invest in people that are interested um, in the work they do and the things that they're doing. So um, I can vouch for you doing that given that we've worked together. So, all right. So you take this job at WeWork. Um, and, uh, all right. So I'm sure there was many moments of change there. So we won't just sort of jump over that one. Um, uh, but I, I, I know personally, like a lot of the really cool experiences and things you got to do. So you, you know, let's skip past the kind of the EA thing. You know, like, how did you start to get that? Not that being an EA isn't awesome. And there's a lot of really interesting things that happened there. And there was plenty of exposure to like really cool and interesting opportunities as an EA at WeWork. Actually, probably one of the best jobs there. Um, but how did you start to inch your way towards more like project management, operational things? So I have to say it happened like almost immediately to a certain extent. Like I think part of the problem was we were, didn't necessarily know what they needed. It was just like, oh, I'm a senior person. I'm supposed to have an admin. That's a thing that's expected. That's a thing that's like budgeted for. But in reality, uh, my my manager at the time like didn't necessarily need help organizing their calendar. They didn't necessarily need help booking their own travel. They needed help actually figuring out how to grow a team from scratch inside of WeWork. So at the time, I was on, I think, what we were calling the international development team, and we were starting to build WeWork locations outside of the U.S. for the first time. And so a big part of that was they needed to hire a team, right, architects, interior designers, construction managers, engineers, and it probably made sense to start hiring people in some of these markets, right? It was no longer realistic to jump, to jump on a plane every two days to go check in on a job site when now you're going from New York to Shanghai or New York to London. So part of it was like, how do we go about doing this? And I started kind of talking to different departments. That was one of the, the coolest experiences I think I had. You know, I, I went to legal one day and I was like, hey, I think we need to hire people in, in, in the UK and China. Like, have we done that before? And the answer is almost always no. <laughs> and so I said, okay, like I can look into what that looks like, but obviously I'm going to need help from your team in order to support this. I'm, I'm not a lawyer by trade. And, and that happened with finance and it happened with HR and it happened with legal. And one of the interesting things about WeWork is they had planned to hire people in these markets, but they planned to hire them for once the buildings were ready to be staffed and opened. No one had really thought about like, we need to build these buildings and we need resources to do that. So I was always the first one, the first one to figure out 
how we would pay people in, in China. And there's a lot of complications there I won't get into. And how we hire people and how we onboard them, right? Are we flying them here? Are we going there? Some of these countries, it's actually hard to get a visa to the US. So I found myself actually needing to go to some of these countries and onboard them. So very quickly, my scope became very different from what I would assume is that of a traditional EA and really started being almost this like special project manager on the side of like hiring and onboarding and figuring out how to organize and run a team. Again, like sort of seizing opportunities, which I think is, you know, that I think with career building and and kind of thinking about our career paths, it's a really delicate balance between being strategic and opportunistic. And I think some people get a little too planned and too strategic around like this North Star of like, this is what it needs to be and don't let themselves open to opportunities. And I think some people end up just kind of what I've been made fun of before for calling like the career lazy river. They just like go where it takes them because you know, it's really cool opportunities, but at a certain point they wake up and they're like, wow, I don't feel like I had any say in where this took me, however good the outcomes are or not. And so just kind of like hearing this, it's been really cool to see you sort of manage that, that interact, that sort of like the tension between strategic and opportunistic. Um, so you did the international development, um, probably felt like a lifetime. Um, but you know, how long did you do that for? And then kind of like what came next? Oh boy. I feel like my, it's hard to differentiate my time at WeWork. Well, let's say I did it for like a year and a half to maybe two years in some respect or another. And I, I continued to like gain scope along the way. I ended up creating a new position, hiring a team internationally to do that, managing that team. So I, I did a lot of different things. I would say the next big shift was when I decided I don't know if I decided, but I, I looked into the opportunity of moving um, departments at WeWork. So the, the whole time I had been there, whether or not, regardless of like the specific job I was doing, I was supporting our development team, which was like design, construction, and real estate, which I, by default, had learned a ton of things I probably never would have learned about design, construction, and real estate, some of which might be useful if I decide to buy a home one day, some of, I, some of which I might never use again. And... I had gotten really good exposure and this was an interesting one because I actually don't think I reached out. I think I was approached for this one. I was approached by um, our head of sales at the time and we had been chatting. We had a, a rapport and a relationship and he said, you know, I, I noticed what you have done for the other side of the org for design, construction, and real estate. I feel like we're missing that on more of like the sales and marketing side. What are your thoughts on maybe whether it was expanding scope or shifting and kind of focusing a little bit more on sales and marketing. And I was like, that's interesting, but you know, I don't know anything about sales. I don't know anything about marketing. And he was a really wonderful mentor that almost helped me create the story about like how else. And he's like, well, you can say, look, you really focused on the supply side of the business and now you get to focus on demand. And now you've seen both sides of the business. And I was like, I would have never come up with that on my own, but that that does sound really cool. So He was the head of sales. So He was the head of sales <laughs> and he does did and does make a good sale. So I, again, like I, I, I was very lucky at WeWork with the options of like internal mobility. And I, I, I kind of, I think I actually spoke to you about it. I came to you and I said, hey, this opportunity presented itself at the time, your scope was both over design, construction, real estate, and sales and marketing. So you're like, cool, you're still helping my people at the end of the day. So I, I decided to make a pivot. And again, it was like, it wasn't this changing everything. It was taking the same type of role and responsibilities that I had, but just shifting who the audience was for, who I was serving. 
So now I was going to be serving sales reps and, you know, marketers, which I've learned are very different personality wise than more of your design and construction people. But it was a, it was a really cool opportunity. And I, I'm very glad that it was presented to me and I took advantage of it. And so what was, um, I, I feel like there again, having the, the benefit of being there, um, I got to see kind of certain projects that you took on and things that you did and to kind of almost bring it full circle to where we are today. What was like your biggest project um, in that role? And like one of the ones that you like naturally gravitated towards and sort of started to feel not like work. Yeah. So one thing that we were doing, which I thought was really cool is we, and and one of the, this is, this is a revelation I had like right before that. So to kind of catch us up a tiny bit, I realized I was very passionate about people versus let's say business. So I, I thought the business was interesting, but at the end of the day, any project I was doing that related to the people I got energized about. So in this kind of new role in, in sales and marketing, I said, okay, let me focus on the people. And I didn't necessarily have a plan of like what this would, position would look like, what the team would look like, again, because I didn't necessarily pitch it myself. And I, I went to our head of sales and I said, okay, what are your like top three biggest frustrations or biggest challenges right now when it comes to your employees, when it comes to the sales and marketing employees? Um, and so that was great because instead of like pitching some ideas I had, I was like, let me go to the source and actually see what what things I can potentially solve. And right, I can't solve them all, but I can solve a few. And And one of the ones that was brought up was career pathing. Um, and he said, you know, we have all these sales reps and, and some of them are young coming from, you know, straight from undergrad or pretty soon after. And they get here, they're hustling, you know, they're killing their sales goals, but they don't know how to grow here. So there's this assumption that's like, I'm going to get this insane experience at WeWork. It's going to look great on my resume. And then I have to move jobs and then I'll be able to grow and then I'll be able to make more money and then I'll be able to be a manager. So he's like, I don't want that to be the case. Like, why don't we grow from within our own resources? So we under took a big project, which is not an easy thing to solve, about like career pathing as a whole. And, and we ended up diving into little sections. From there, first, we looked at onboarding. Like, are we setting people up for success in this org, right? Because if we're not setting them up for success, then they're never going to grow. And then starting to look at how do we show the different paths and the different optionality within the org. And it might be going, sure, from sales rep to sales manager to sales director to VP of sales, but also it might be going from sales rep to sales ops to, you know, business development. So we also wanted to like kind of break that stereotype of like careers being like a ladder and more of this idea of a lattice and and different pathways and different options. So that that's the big thing that I was working on, I would say the last, you know, year and a half or so that I was there. So then you're almost like in this like hybrid HR position. A hundred percent. I should have like in an in a different company, I would have been living in the HR org. In WeWork, it, it actually made my life a lot easier to not be in the HR org just because I didn't have to follow as meant quite as many rules and regulations, but I worked very closely with HR. And I said, hey, like we don't want to build something that you're just going to say, no, what is this? Let's not use it, but let's build something together. You have resources and expertise. I have resources and expertise. And how can we make something that kind of solves what the company needs, but also solves what this sales org needs? So I think that speaks a little bit to like being in a startup. And we, we don't have to get too deep into what you're doing at Teal because people can cover that in other ways. And 
But I think let's let's end on this, on this kind of idea of being in a startup. Because to your point, right, at, at another company, like that may have been an HR. Um, but at a startup, even though it was fairly big at the time when we were, when this was happening, there was still very much a... And I think startups do a good job of focusing on outcomes more than means, where I think big companies start to focus on means for repetition and consistency, uh, which, you know, the funny thing is I think they end up affecting outcomes in an unfortunate way. Um, but what did being in a startup mean for your career and your ability to kind of like navigate that and, and try things and test and learn and, and gain exposure to experiences? So one of these like big self-actualization moments I had towards the end of my time at WeWork was this, this idea of like being a specialist versus being a generalist. And I think I like was flat out having a conversation with somebody about this. And they're like, you're at a point in your career where you need to become a specialist and you need to pick that specialty and you need to focus on that specialty or you're not going to be able to grow. And I really struggled with that. Because like, just by definition, I am a generalist. I love learning new things. I love trying new things. I like expanding my scope to different projects and working with different people. So the idea of like picking one thing and saying, this is what I want to do the rest of my career was like terrifying, frankly. And I really, really struggled with it. And I, I tried here and there, but I, and nothing ever uh, felt quite right. And I don't know if it was when I was talking to you, Dave, or just other people in general about, you know, what I wanted to do next after WeWork. And I said, like, I'm a really good generalist. Why am I trying to become something that I'm not and I don't want to be? And at a company at WeWork size at the time, they don't need generalists in these senior positions, right? They, they need more specialists. But if you go to a smaller company, like a startup, generalists are a lot more valuable, right? They can't afford to hire 10 different specialist roles. So they're looking for someone who can cover three until they can grow grow those people and then their cover shifts or their coverage expands or whatever it might be. So I wanted to go early, early startup, which I hadn't done before. WeWork was still a startup when I joined, but it was already 300 people. And, and as everyone probably knows, grew very, very quickly. What was it when you left? I don't know, 10,000, 13,000. Does that even sound right? Well, actually, it probably was, but that was probably on the downward because uh, you left after. But, so I think let's maybe a better rate at its peak. I think it was like 15, 16,000. There you go. So 300 to 16,000. So obviously, the general skill set that I had at 300 looked very different in its value to a company of 16,000. Um, that's awesome. Um, the generalist specialist, I think is a really good one. It's funny. You're, you're a specialist at being a generalist. Um, <laughs> but, uh, it's, you know, it's an interesting tension and I think it's, none of them are good or bad, right? I think it's like, what's right for you. For some people, the idea of being a generalist is like nails on a chalkboard and, and the other way around. So I think it's a really important thing to kind of come, come to terms with. And there's supporting evidence for both. There's books written on both, uh, you know, and how both of the, and really it's about knowing yourself and like where you're energized. And it's also not static. Maybe there's a time in your life where you want to be a generalist. Maybe you want to be a specialist, but you want to try being a generalist. But I think having that language and that clarity uh, around that is, is super valuable. Yeah. And it was a big unlock for me because I was like, hey, I can be a generalist. I just need to be it in a different context. And the context here was, you know, stage and size of company. Awesome. Well, 
thanks so much for sharing your career path with us. Uh, there was a lot of really great, insightful moments, and uh, I think we're going to have to do this again. Awesome. Thanks for the time, Dave. And that's it for this episode of Nonlinear. If you enjoyed today's conversation, make sure to subscribe, share, and rate us wherever you're listening to the show. You can learn more about Teal on our website, tealhq.com. That's teal like the color, T-E-A-L-H-Q.com. Or follow us on social media at teal underscore HQ. Thank you so much for joining us. And please tune back in to keep hearing about how we make the decisions that shape our career. The Teal Career Paths podcast is produced by Rainbow Creative with senior producer Matthew Jones and editor and associate producer Drew McPowell. You can find more information on them at rainbowcreative.co. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.